mana e This week Tiahika is at the annual Creative New Zealand Te Waka Toy Awards. event honours Māori artists who have made a significant contribution to their chosen field. This week I'm with weaver Maureen Lander, who has created installations called Flatpack Whakapapa and Kitset Whanaungatanga. What I came to realise was that all my artwork was really a search for my own identity and my own whakapapa. Greenstone or Ponamu artist Lewis Gardner has run his own workshop and design studio, Rakai Jade, since 1995. This year he was recognised for his contribution with the Manaki Taonga Award. The stone or, or the Ponamu had actually lost a lot of its mana by the way that it was commercialised. So for me it was about, well, how do I, how do I go back, give the stone the mana that it deserves? And a lot of that was just learning, looking looking at the designs, the old forms, dissecting them. As part of the Te Wakatoi Awards, we'll profile a few of the recipients over the next few shows. This includes Derek Lardelli, Rex Homan, Kura Te Warurewiri and Grace Hoyt. E ngā hau e te motu tahuti mai ki ngā kōrero o te ao toi Māori. That's coming up in this week's edition of Te Ahikā. Maureen Lander is an academic, a weaver and installation artist. She has whakapapa or family connections to Te Hukutsu in the far north. She's taught Māori fibre arts at the University of Auckland and in 2002 she received her doctorate in fine arts and was honoured with Natohu Ata Kingi Ihaka, Recognising Lifetime Contribution Award. While Maureen has been a teacher for many years, she enjoys working alongside small weaving groups like the one from her hometown, Pātearoha Weavers, from Firinaki. Her work has exhibited both here and overseas. On the morning of the Te Wakatoi Awards held in Rotorua, I caught up with Maureen to talk about her childhood, her mentors and how her art is, in some shape or form, a reflection of her identity. My connections are into Hokianga through my grandmother, into Tehikatu in Fidanaki Valley, through my grandfather, into Teroroa, Ngati Korokoro, at Omapare. I didn't grow up there. I was born in Rawani. Yes. My father was a teacher. We moved, so we moved to Kyle first, and then to uh, te Karaka, inland from Gisborne. Growing up in Te Tairawhiti, Maureen would sit next to her grandmother and learn how to darn, which has featured in many of her pieces. What she taught me really early when I used to sit by her in darn socks um, is coming into into play now. Yes. yes. And because you're so tactile as an artist, will fibre arts really come naturally to you? Um, I've always loved the fibre arts. And ever since I started at Elam and was going through sculpture, I knew that I wanted to work with 
mainly the fibres that grow here, like flax and pingo, harakeke, pingo, kuta, kia kia. I was learning to do tukutuku when the meeting house was built at Auckland University, so I used to go along there and sit with the weavers and just do tukutuku mm. and... Uh, Kiti Fakairo with the shorter strands, taught by Hinamoa Harrison then. And for the muka, I, I went to Digares the Kanawa in 1984, I think. I started learning with Digger. So that changed my whole life, starting to work with muka. Mm. It was like magic. Renowned weaver Digeris Tekanawa was born in 1920 and learned the art of weaving from her mum, Dame Rangimarie Hetet. She contributed to weaving for marae and alongside the tertiary institution Te Wānanga o Aotearoa. In the early 1980s, she co-founded Te Ropu Raranga Fatsu o Aotearoa, the National Māori Weavers Collective. What was that experience like having her as a, a mentor and, and teacher. She was beautiful. She um, she was such a lovely teacher. We, we used to stay at Ohaki, and there was only a very small group that, that I was with. So we used to sleep up in the mezzanine floor at Ohaki. One night she unpacked a beautiful chest of kākahu that she and Rangimaria had made. That was so special, just watching each one come out and she would tell us its story. So it was way more than just being taught how to weave. It was um, it was like total immersion. And when I started to put it into my installations, I started to think, I wonder what Digger will <laughs> think about what I do with what she taught me. And uh, she saw the one I did in Taranaki, which was like a mountain. We'd done it with the children and with the weavers there. Mm. And she thought it was beautiful. And so did Auntie Marge. And it was such a relief (laughs) (laughs) to have those two say that it was... Auntie Marge says, oh, that is absolutely exquisite. Do you find yourself in a position where you've actually been a mentor to other weavers now? I love mentoring. I've spent a long time teaching and I I worked at Auckland University teaching Maori material culture. So there was a lot of research involved in that. So I found myself mentoring students who are following in that same journey that I went on. But also I just love working with the local weavers. Uh, We've got a big project on at the moment, which is um, bring back the knowledge of how to make the ra which is in the British Museum. It's the only Māori sale still in existence. There is another group doing all the scientific research into it, but we've been for the last 10 years or more researching how to make it. Because we had a lot of photographs and there were things we couldn't see in the photographs, um, three went over in January and sat there with their little toira alongside the ra and figured out how to do the join and the pattern through the join, which was the the main difficult thing, which none of the mat weavers still make. That's fascinating. There's a lot of different components to the ra, so our whole Pate Araha weavers are practising all the different techniques, you know. 
and making artwork inspired by the Ra so the techniques come back. You seem to be part of that community as well. You have been involved in that community of a small group of weavers. I love to, as I travel, get to meet the weavers. So I have a touring exhibition called Flat Pack Whakapapa. Yes. And in several places it's been. I've worked with local weavers and sometimes with children. And we just make uh, another piece which goes up in the gallery alongside my touring show. So in Te Uru, in Titirangi, children came and their work went up in the main gallery alongside mine. A flat pack whakapapa is, is an art piece. Well, what I came to realise was that all my artwork was really a search for my own identity and my own whakapapa. And I had gone back to live where my whakapapa is. And uh, it was obvious that I was going to have to move again because of erosion of my place in Omapari. Mm. I started to worry about moving away again. Then I thought, well, it doesn't matter. I take my whakapapa with me. And everybody, lots of people have to do that. So where you go, you take it with you. I was aware of Tongan and Samoan women who take their mats with them. And uh, I thought, well, whakapapa means to make layers. So I'll make layers. And it's also the commencement of how you start a kete in the old way. And what you put into the whirei in your commencement, how many strips, what colours determine the potential size, patterns, and how that kete will look. And so I just had the idea that I would do one long fiddy and put all my generations on it, and that would fold backwards and forwards. So it was more like occupation layers or bones in the ground as a way of making whakapapa. A bit like a whakapapa stick where you could go down the notches and say your ancestors... The other one that the Pāteāraha group joined with me was Kitset Whanaungatanga. And so it was flat. It could, each, each of our pieces could have been made into a kete, but they were the flat commencement, the way they used to make the uh, kumara kete. Oh, yes. Uh, built yes. up to a peak, and then the strands were all taken into a whiri. So that if those strands were undone and it kept being woven, it could end up as a kete. So this is the flat pack that fits in your car that you take home and finish. (laughs) (laughs) And we all started with um, similar whakapapa, but we branch out and because we're individuals, each one is different. And so our our party araha weavers, we see ourselves as a whānau. We're not all blood-related. Yep but we see ourselves as a whānau. As an artist, what is your thoughts about the appropriation of Māori art? Uh, It's not art if somebody just copies something, but patterns occur throughout the world. They are universal. And so if you think it's a Māori pattern, it might actually occur in the Solomon Islands or... Um, you know, like some of the curvilinear patterns occur in Ireland, they're Celtic. So you can't be sure that what you think is a Māori pattern is a Māori pattern. Mm. But my feeling is if you're an artist, 
you, you're always referencing. I'm referencing the cloaks. I'm referencing what I see, but I have to bring it through myself and turn it into something that I have created and reflect something about myself. And that takes away... It's just something then that I have created. Mm. But, it, but if you just take something and pretend it's yours and don't do anything with it that makes it yours, you know, then you are appropriating. Mm. Like if somebody started doing my DNA spirals, I haven't seen anybody do that. And if I saw an exact copy of that, then I would feel that it might have been appropriated. At age 77, Maureen had thought about retiring and spending some time with her whānau. But these days, she's busy with a number of projects on the go. I'm making something for the foyer of the um, Waitohi Centre in Johnsonville, and it's huge. I have seen that. Train station and then opposite the road is this huge complex being built. Yes. So in the, on the wall of that, I'm working with a group of weavers from Petoni. Lately, if I have a big commission... I just work with local weavers, it's much more fun. And when I leave, they own it, they're living there, you know. So you are very much working quite reg- semi-regularly? Or? I'm working way harder <laughs> than I used to. <laughs> Something must have happened. Suddenly, um, older women around the world are flavour of the month or something. <laughs> The future of fibre arts, do you believe that it is progressing, evolving in good hands with the ones coming up? Oh, I'm overwhelmed by what I see compared to back in the 1980s when I first started with the... I started before that with the Māori Women's Welfare League, but they were much more into social work at that time. Yes. And so that was... I did a lot more of that kind of work with them... And it's coming back now. A lot of my um, work is socially engaged. But um, the, the students coming through all of the institutions now are making such amazing uh, creations of all kinds. I think it's alive and well, and uh, I just can't wait to see what else happens. Your ideas and just the, the, the contemporary modern... F- look and feel of your work, where does that come from? Do you That comes from having come through Elam, studied art history, worked with my supervisor Christine Hillier. So I've learnt a lot from those people which other people think I'm a weaver. They don't recognise the influences that are in there. Like Marcel Duchamp, who's way back, you know, opened up this gallery space for installation. It's a huge influence in my work, but people don't recognise it here unless they've come through somewhere like Elam. Tēnā koe, Maureen Lander, installation artist, weaver and academic. She was one of the five recipients of the Tākingi Ihaka Award, recognising lifetime contribution of strengthening Māori art and culture as part of the Creative New Zealand Te Wakatoi Awards.
A new category under the Te Wakatoi Awards was the Manaki Taonga Award, recognising the work of a Māori artist who fulfils the legacy of Te Māori, He Taonga Tukuiho. Te Māori was the 1984 Touring Māori Art Exhibition staged at the Met in New York, St. Louis, San Francisco and Chicago before making its return home. Ponamu artist Lewis Gardner was the recipient of the Manaki Taonga Award. My iwi connections are locally here, so uh, Ngāti Pikiao, uh, Tamatia Tutahi, uh, Ngāti Kawati. My whakapapa actually runs all the way around the Eastern Bay, so I have connections to uh, Ngāti Awa, Whānaua Apanui, uh, Tūwhari Toa, Ki Kawarau, uh, and connections down south to uh, Ngāi Tahu. A graduate of Waiariki Polytechnic, now Toi Ohomai, the artist set up Rakai Jade, a Rotorua-based greenstone workshop and design store. You know, being a, a young student and um, trying to go down the path of being a, an artist is like crazy. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not a real job. It's uh, it's a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so so I was very fortunate that my parents were very supportive. Um, they never made me give up on what I enjoyed doing to get a real job. I was just lucky enough that um, over the years, then I met my partner, and she she basically gave me the, I guess the, the drive to work yeah, hard. Yeah, nice. It hasn't come easy. It's been it's been a slog. It's been very very hard work, but. Um, you know, the rewards are is that, you know, my kids are, are really good kids. My kids are, are well-educated. Um, my kids are happy. You know, I, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that there's been a lot of support, even even within the artist community here. Um, so some of my best friends are all artists. Um, yeah, so really the award is an acknowledgement of all those people. 1995, you became a full-time Jade and Bone Carver specialising in traditional Māori imagery. So, to work in the industry, is it hard? Is it tough? Is it? It's it's probably not as difficult as some of the other mediums. What it, what it was for myself personally was these uh, these a commercial industry that revolves around Ponamu. Um, at that time in 1995, it was very commercial. The the design process that they used were basically biscuit cut type designs. What does biscuit cut mean? Uh, just, just real factory, so you carve a hundred of one design, and then you go on and you might have a, a design book of, say, 20 designs, and you just carve for the tourist market. Yep. So for me, with uh, Waiariki being sort of the, the introduction or the background, um, I basically wanted to change that status quo. So for me, it was about the stone or, or the ponum, you had actually lost a lot of its mana by the way that it was commercialised. So for me it was about, well, how do, I, how do I go back, give the stone the money that it deserves, and a lot of that was just learning, looking, looking at the designs, the old forms, dissecting them, trying to figure them out but not replicate them because for me replication, those pieces are already being mastered by, by a tupuna. So for me it was how do I bring this sort of energy into the modern context. So from there, I just sort of developed my own style, pushed it as much as I could. Um, a lot of it was actually going back 
trying to understand, trying to learn as much as I could and then develop from there. You talked about the whole commercialisation of jade, of Ponamu. Is it a problem, do you think? It's not necessarily a problem. There's sort of two, two sides to the industry. Yeah. Um, one side of it is, is that full-on commercial um, tourism. That market kind of gets swallowed up by product that is made out of uh, Canadian stone that's made offshore in, say, either China or Pakistan or, or Indonesia, and then it's shipped back into the New Zealand market and put on the market at, at what I call tourist prices, which to me I'm OK with to a point because what it's doing is it's taking some of the strain off our resource because our resource is not readily available and then we still get back to that whole point of, you know, it's losing the mana of the material. I would rather see a small piece of stone that gets worked for 40 or 60 hours than something that is cranked out in 45 minutes and sold for 120 bucks. So I'd rather see somebody spend the time, you know, make that material worthy of what it is, and then somewhere down the track somebody will love it enough to go, yeah, that's, that's me, that resonates me, so... For that sort of industry, we, we do need it. I, I, I won't, I won't, you know, um, deny that. Uh, tourism is a big part, but every now and then you do get the type of tourist that has a, a respect for what we're trying to do. Yes, and, yeah. You know, for them, it's about connecting with New Zealand. It's connecting with the Māori culture of New Zealand. That must be reflected in your price points too, eh? Because to pay X amount of dollars for a particular artist's work, 60, 40 to 60 hours with the story, yep. is it reflected in your pricing? I find that we we tend to be too cheap. Because for me, um, you know, if you start to think about what you do commercially, solely, then it all becomes about the money. And when you start thinking about the money all the time, then you start to lose focus on the real reason why you do it. So for me, when, say, for example, I carve a heitiki, yes. we, we have competition, right? Like some of them are my, my old um, toe that have gone on and created their own business. And, and so we have competition, definitely. And um, when we sort of talk about, you know, pricing your work, we might get somebody that, that comes in and, and, you know, he's an old toe he goes, oh, you're, you're, how much do you sell your tikis for? I say, well, I t- sell them for this much, and you'll go, oh, oh, that's too cheap. I said, yeah, but I look at it differently because to me, if somebody comes in and a they're of Maori descent and you know that fits within their price range, I would rather sell it to them than to just sell it to the open market. They understand the context of Tonga Tukuihu, so for them, that's the whole reason why they've bought it. It's about them making a connection with the piece. Wearing it, connecting with it, for me that's the most important part. The design store and workshop Rakai Jade has been running for 25 years, but despite this, Lewis has also taken up artist residencies over the years and his work has exhibited overseas. From mere or ponamu clubs to large-scale and small pieces, Rakai Jade is considered a formidable design store in ponamu. And when it comes to the flow of ideas and thoughts, Lewis says there's lots to draw on. It can be it can be multiple sources. Like it could be depending on what it is. Say, for example, if it's a particular show or a particular exhibition, yes. then that generally has a theme that runs through it. Yep. 
So straight away you have the thing, then your thought process already goes, okay, so now how do I tell a story that can connect to that thing? You could even create work just from, from things like waiata, karakia, whatever you want to use as an element for that inspiration. So, oh, so these, these, you're not really pigeonholed. I want to ask you about the appropriation of Māori images and culture. Um, Lois, what are your thoughts on this about... I mean, I spoke with Maureen Land and it's funny because she said everything I do, I reference it. So, for example, if she researches an image, there's always a reference point. It's about how to make that particular design your own and about revival. Where do you stand on the appropriation of Māori? Um, myself, personally, because at, at the beginning of what I call my, my learning... Um, my references were, were all old forms, not necessarily like copying or replicating something, but just to understand the form, the proportions. So I, I really never had to reference a particular piece because I didn't copy it. But I found that that was the inspiration to to develop something from it. So for me, it was more about the form. It didn't necessarily talk about the origins of that piece or where the origins of that piece were. Mm. So I didn't have to say, well, you know, this was based on, a, a say, for example, a tata form from the East Coast. Because really when I looked at a form, it was like, OK, so the proportions are like this. And then I would take that away. Um, I wouldn't keep staring at it and then then I would see what would develop just from your own process, your own your own thinking process, your own design process. Yeah. For me, the design was just a concept that was there to give me a guide to let the process to, to develop itself. There are no immediate projects in the pipeline, but Lewis says this time of year is always busy for him and his team. We have a, a studio attached to our retail space. I used to always say it's a studio with a retail space attached to it, not a retail with a studio. <laughs> so uh, it's the studio first and foremost? Yeah, or it's the studio. The studio is the heart of any space. What people find interesting about our studio is that they go, wow, you guys laugh a lot. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we mostly just do our, our marketing on social media. We're practical guys. We, we sort of got to try and balance the time of, of getting our mahi out there, but at the same time actually doing the mahi. So we have a studio of, of four carvers. Uh, we're basically all booked out until probably 6 or 8 o'clock Christmas Eve. Wow. That's a good thing, though, eh? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's... Um, it's about being flexible because uh, when somebody walks in and even though the work that we display in our studio is quite different anyway and you'll find that you're not getting the same because even the guys carve the same way as I do, yeah. if they carve the same design it's only one or two of the same design and even then there's still slight variations within that piece. Mm -hmm. So you'll find that when they walk in they still see a lot of different forms but they still want one particular piece that's being customised or designed for them. So, um, yeah, it's just hard to say no, but we've got to be realistic about it because if we say yes to everything, we won't meet our deadlines and, right. you know, we, we try and be as professional as we can. 
Tenakwe Lewis Gardner, Honamu artist and recipient of the Manaki Taonga Award. And earlier we heard from weaver and installation artist Maureen Lander, one of the recipients of the Takini Ihaka Award. Now there are photos from the evening. Head to rnz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. That's the show for another week. Of course, you can subscribe to the podcast RNZ Tiahika. We're on Twitter and Facebook as well. Search RNZ Tiao Māori. Kia ora, Noe Te Whanau. Join us next Sunday, Mauri 2, Mauri Ora.